friends, and welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. All month long, Nick and I are broadcasting from Lockwood Books here in St. Thomas, Ontario, 488 Talbot Street. We are live today. Nick, we are live. We are live, and uh, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's been a bit of a trip so far. It's been a bit of a busy morning. <laughs> we we can't uh, go back and and, uh, and 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 if we have any bloopers, we're, we just got to push through them. Oh yeah, and to, to, to make it even better, I'm not editing this show like that. If there's a blooper, it's staying in the show. Well, it, it has to because it, it's live, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, today is the last day. They've got a sale here at Lockwood Books. Um, you can get uh, was it fifty percent off of uh, soft covers? I think yes. Yeah, 50% off soft covers. Today is the last day for that, and then they're going to get into their Christmas sales. Now, this is a wonderful way to give back to the environment, to give back to um, local business, local business, shop local, to uh, for the book lover on your Christmas list. Yep. This is a wonderful store. We love it here. We are so grateful that we are able to podcast from uh, Lockwood Books all month long. And again, it is... It's wonderful. This, like, I keep talking about the atmosphere of this place. It's wonderful. It fits the Christmas season. It fits Halloween. It fits every season. It fits. It fits. Uh, I don't know. It fits Labor every Day. season. It fits all seasons. It fits all holidays. All right. <laughs> well, folks, uh, I am John Allen, your host, also known as Spooky Uncle John, and with me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Snyderman Five Hundred One, Nick Snyder. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Oh, they can get a hold of us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Clapper, and Hive at the Area Fifty One H, as well as on Facebook by searching for Area Fifty One and a Half. So we now have a hive mentality. Yes, we do. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. We're available on Hive if and when Hive decides to work properly. <laughs> I've been having problems with that one. But, but anyway. But we're still on Twitter till the bitter end. Till the bitterest of ends. Anyway. <laughs> so, John. Yes, Nick. Uh, last week, we went and saw Violent Night. We did go to see Violent Night. Oh my gosh, what a fun... You know, here's the thing with Violent Night. This thing is not going to win any Oscars. This is pure entertainment. You shut your brain off, you eat your popcorn, you have fun with David Harbour, uh, pardon me, David Harbour, J John Leguizamo, and Beverly D'Angelo. Yes, it, it was so good. It was literally Die Hard with Santa Claus. Like, it was a diehard situation. It was like if you took Die Hard and Home Alone and just a Santa Claus special and put them in a blender, you poured out Violent Night as a milkshake. There is a series of YouTube videos that go over things that happen in action films and how it would actually affect somebody. And they did um, the Home Alone movies and Marvin... Uh, Oh, he'd be dead. They, they die several times they, over. They would and be dead. <laughs> I like how in this film, we kind without getting into spoiler territory, we kind of see the the end result of that kind of mentality. <laughs> it's it's beautiful. I got I when we saw it, you know, it was shown to me by Jeff York from York Pharmacy just down the street, right? Yeah. And he said, "I think you'd appreciate this." And he showed me the trailer on his cell phone. Oh boy, did I appreciate that because I hadn't heard of it before, and I was just like, "Yes, I'm in," mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I was not disappointed. I went in with zero expectations and came out. I have never laughed so much in my life. 
it was and that was the thing i was expecting i was expecting something a little bit cheesier maybe a little bit campier but they played it well and david harbour playing a a drunk kind of disillusioned santa yeah santa claus was perfect yeah and you know i I like the plot of it too because the plot is very simple you got a jaded santa claus he is making his rounds he stops at a very wealthy family's house there's a little girl there who believes in santa claus and believes in the spirit of christmas and then these guys come in they're gonna steal 30 300 million dollars off Beverly D'Angelo's character that's locked in a safe somewhere in the mansion. Yep. And the only reason Santa sticks around is to to protect, protect. and to, well, protect his own butt, but yep. also to protect the little girl and her faith in him as Santa Claus. Yeah. It works on so many levels, and it's just a great popcorn flick now mind you it is rated r there is yeah. some gore there is some delicious gore. Oh, oh man oh my god uh. and and there, and there is language yeah. so you know it's not for the little ones but man if like your christmas eve is not complete unless you see hans gruber falling from the tower and die hard this is a nice little companion piece for it completely agreed and honestly i would I would put this along the same lines. Like, I know it's not its not a horror movie. It's definitely an action film. But I would put it along the same lines as Gremlins or Krampus, something like that. Kind of a, a, a cranked up Christmas type vibe. Yeah, yeah, because Krampus definitely leans into the horror. Yes. Gremlins leans into the comedy horror. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this, this is action, but it's got gore that you would typically see in a horror movie. And a lot movie. of comedy as well. Yeah. It's it's honestly it's a very well-rounded film. I, I it's, it's I'm buying it when it comes yeah. out cuz it's going to be part of my yearly Christmas. Can life. we talk about John Leguizamo's character? I mean, this is the this is the wonderfulness of the writing. So this gang, they're not using their real names. He is the head honcho of this group of thugs. Yeah. He has called himself Mr. Scrooge. Yes, he has, and that that's fantastic. And their code, their code names. There's Krampus. There's Peppermint. There's Candy Cane. Yeah, it's Tinsel. It's hilarious to what happened to Tinsel. It's just it's just hilarious to watch that. And And the fight scenes. Yeah, fight scenes were fantastic. Oh, they were spectacular. And even the ending. You know, when you come across the big bad, the showdown between Santa and Mr. Scrooge is just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, going back a second, the Gremlins, um, we actually, on Friday night... At the Highland Theatre. At the Highland Theatre in London, Ontario, we got to go see Gremlins in the original 35mm, which was just, oh, chef's kiss. I loved it. It was a, it was a great experience because, for me, it's very nostalgic. Right? Yeah. Because the Highland is the only theatre in our immediate area mm-hmm. that's left around from the old days of cinema. Yeah. Um, it's got kind of an 80s vibe to it. I wish it was a little more like the Capitol used to be. You know how it had the Art Deco yeah. and um, just that wonderful feel to it. It doesn't have that because it is sort of an 80s vibe. Um, and but But to be in that kind of theater where the seats are not comfortable... Like you, the candy counter is right there, and then you go right into the the theater. You know, there's there's no multiplex. It's like the doors are right beside the candy counter. You go in, you you get your popcorn, you get your drinks, you get whatever uh, treats you want to have, and you go right in the theater. And 
you know, that that's the thing. Like, and if anyone from the Highland is listening to this, we, we, we love your theater. It is a great experience. Um, I've been there, obviously, for Gremlins now. Yeah, we, we saw it for Jaws. Jaws. Yeah. Oh, my God, that was amazing. But just touching on Gremlins, seeing it on the big screen, right? Noticing things that I didn't really notice before. One thing I did not notice before is at the end, they actually tell you that the Futtermans lived through their, their, their situation, right? Right. I thought that the, um, I thought that they just kind of added the Futtermans in to part two is just kind of a, Oh, they were popular. Everybody liked them. Right. Right. But no, I didn't realize that they lived through it and didn't realize that until I watched it on the big screen. Yeah. And Dick Miller, and I can't remember the actress's name. Oh, I'm, I'm terrible about that. I wish I could. They were actually in the original Little Shop of Horrors yes, with Jack were. Nicholson. Yes, she were. played Audrey too. And uh, Mr. Futterman, Dick Miller, he played, uh, he played a, a customer at the flower shop that would eat the flowers. He'd buy them and then eat them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching that. The first time I watched that with you was with you. We walked when we watched it on um, the last drive in with Joe Bob Briggs. Right. That was my first time watching the original movie. Obviously, I've seen the musical several times, but anyway. Um, yeah, it's interesting how you have a movie like that where it starts off as a movie, it then turns into a off Broadway pl- musical. Yep. That musical gets turned into a movie. Yep. <laughs> So and just just to talk a little bit, uh, and just so everyone knows, um, if you hear anybody in the background again, we are live, uh, and the and Lockwood Books is currently open. So if customers will be coming in, you'll hear them in the background. Yeah, really, it's, yeah, it's a functioning store today. Yeah. Okay, so I just want to talk about Mrs. Peltzer for a moment. Mrs. Peltzer is completely badass. Like, okay, you have the teacher who takes the one mogwai to do a blood test yeah. on, right? Yeah. He gets murked by the gremlin within a minute. Yeah, easily. Mrs. Peltzer. Mer- she, she takes out three gremlins in less than a minute. She is ready for battle. She has a knife. She has a a, a, a dinner table, like a dinner tray as a yeah. shield. Like she's ready for battle. And the only time she um, gets bested by the gremlins is when one of them jumps out of the Christmas tree and takes her by surprise. Yeah. And I just, I, I love that. And that's just really, it was a really well done scene, really good writing. Well, the, the whole scene in that is very well set up by the writers. It's very well set up by Joe Dante directing it. And of course, by the actress who basically um, did this, you almost have to act without acting because there's that moment where she goes up to the attic, yeah, where, which is Billy's bedroom. And she's not really prepared. She's stealing herself to do this task because she's up there and she has this look on her face like, okay, uh, what is that? Am I going to do this? Because they have this wonderful juxtaposition of playing Do You Hear What I Hear? Yes. Which is a perfect song for that because she doesn't know what's going on. She's hearing all these strange noises, these strange growlings and everything like that. And that's really the first time or one of the first times we see the gremlins full on. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've watched this movie so many times over the years. I watch it every Christmas. I watch it a couple of times throughout the year. I just enjoy it. I it's such a and it's really weird because like you look at Zach Galligan, right? And you look at yeah. Phoebe Cates. Now I know why Phoebe Cates left um, left Hollywood. She got married to oh I not Kinnear. Um, okay, whatever. I got she, got, she married. got married. She got married and she just decided she didn't want to do movies anymore. Fine. 
Now, Zach Galligan, though, me personally, the only, he's he, the fact that he didn't become bigger kind of surprised me. He's a good-looking guy. He can act. And the only thing I have ever seen him in outside of the, the two Grounds movies is some random episode of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, he did a movie called Waxwork, another horror movie. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but I oh, I haven't seen it, though. So, yeah. and personally, like, I've only seen um, him... I'm, I'm... It was on Shudder. I don't know if it's currently on Shudder. Like, I'll have a look. Yeah. Give it a watch. But, yeah, no, I just... I thought he would, like... You'd think he would have been bigger. That's all I got. Um, yeah, well, you know, but here's the thing. Being from the 80s... Huh, I'm old... Um, I can tell you, in the 80s, he was big. Really? Yeah. Okay. So it's just that I don't think that any of his movies or television shows or anything like that had the same punch that the Gremlin series had. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so moving on from that. It is time for Nick's Roundup. We're not doing the goat scream this week. Uh, sure we are. Okay. <laughs> We're doing the John Scream this week. All right, so this week's roundup is a little heavy on the video game news. Um, So first and foremost, I want to talk about the video game awards that happened this past week. Elden Ring, which has turned out to be one of the most difficult games ever, uh, won Game of the Year, very well deserved. But I want to talk about two trailers that were premiered at the Game Awards. The first one was for Jedi Survivor. Now, Jedi Survivor is the um, uh, the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order. Follows a young Jedi called Cal Kestis during the the time between the prequels and the original trilogy. Uh, it's a really fun game, and in this new one, um, Cal looks a little world weary, a little sick of things, a little fed up with things, um, but. It looks like fun. It looks so good. It looks like it's going to be a great follow-up to what was a fantastic game. And then this next trailer. So I started watching this trailer, not realizing what it was. It looked like your typical Skyfall alien type thing, alien invasion. Right, thing. right. But it's taken from the perspective of somebody. And he's looking at humans and they're going, oh, we should just scrap them and use them for parts. <laughs> And then it becomes very evident what this... After about a minute, it becomes very evident what this trailer is. It's a new Transformers game. Really? I'm in. It's called Transformers Reactivate. It looks like it's being taken from the perspective of Bumblebee. Fine. Whatever. But anytime there is a... Transformers games are kind of hitting this. You've got War for Cybertron, which is great. You've got... Um, but then you've got the Cyberverse game, which is not all that great. So it's, it's kind of hit and miss, but this one looks really, 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 really good. And I'm excited for that. And uh, just kind of ending the roundup on something I'm pretty sure is going to be a big conversation with us here. The state of the DC Universe films. Uh, yeah, they are pretty much in limbo at this point, aren't oh, they? Oh, no, they're not in limbo. Um, Hang I on for think... just a minute. I love your shirt, by the way. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, just so our listeners understand, she's got a uh, leather face shirt with two chainsaws as an X underneath. It's primo. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, so I don't think it's in limbo. I think James Gunn is making some really aggressive movements with it, which is fine. 
But some things have happened. Okay, so let's let's talk about the first thing. So you and I saw Black Black Adam a few weeks yep. ago. We enjoyed it, but Black Adam is now considered a failure. It lost a hundred a hundred million dollars at the box office. Well, that's a failure. That is a failure, which is surprising because The Rock is typically untouchable. But here we are. So it does not look like we're getting the Black Adam too, which sucks. But whatever. Now the other thing is Wonder Woman. Is Wonder Woman three is no longer going forward. Now the initial the initial report came out saying that it was canceled, but that appears to not be the issue. Apparently, Patty Jenkins had an issue with the producers. They weren't understanding particularly what character development was, and she got angry and left. So that appears to be that well i can tell you after seeing wonder woman 2 and watching it wrong because gal gadot can step on my neck with stiletto heels and i'll apologize for being in her way uh neither does patty jenkins understand what character development is fair enough but that's not the point john well the point is for me it's like i sit there and go oh thank goodness because if you're going to give me another wonder woman 2 don't bother fair enough Um, the original wonder woman was great it was fantastic gal gadot is perfect to be playing Diana Prince. Yep. Perfect for it. As we discussed on the podcast, what a waste of Kristen Wiig as Cheetah. Cheetah is probably the most famous Wonder Woman villain. And she the character was done dirty by the script. I, I agree with that. Um, okay, so that's happening. Apparently, um, Man of Steel 2 with Henry Cavill is not happening. Mm. Oh, that hurt. That was like twisting a dagger, wasn't it? Um, oh, because there was all this big buildup to Henry Cavill coming back as Superman. He is the best Superman since Christopher Reeve. No shade to the other Superman. We need we saw, Cavill. We saw him in Black Adam. Yeah, we need him. Yeah, I agree with that. So movie, now, if, if Warner Brothers moves forward with this, here's what they have to do. With the exception of a certain somebody who is playing The Flash, who I will not name because... Well, before, okay. before we get into what they have to do, let's actually talk about the other. No, no, first. don't listen to me. Okay. They need to keep the actors. They're not going to. Then I don't care. Then so, in that case, just scrap it all because so, the actors are perfect. So that, and that's the thing. Like, um, they've already said that the next Aquaman is Jason Momoa's last run as Aquaman, but they're considering him for Lobo. I don't care. There you go. Very. Uh, there was going to be a Batman movie with Michael Keaton that would have led into a Batman Beyond movie. Scrapped. Then just you know what? I'm sorry. You've if you're not going to keep the actors, I don't care. Yeah, and I kind of feel the same way. I think that Warner Brothers spent far too much time. Warner Brothers going through a lot of trouble right now as well, uh, especially on the TV end. But more than that in a second. Um, it it actually Bro- makes me angry. Yeah, I know. And I think that's the problem is that Warner Brothers spent way too much time trying to catch up to Marvel. And now you have James Gunn. Now, don't get me wrong. No shade to James Gunn. I love James Gunn. But I personally think this is the wrong step because I feel like he's trying to restart from the beginning what Marvel did 15 years ago. Yeah. And I think that is the wrong step. But that's my I, d- I don't have that kind of time. I think that after Phase Boar and just mediocre... DC movies. I don't know that the fandom really is there for superhero movies anymore. I think that you're you've tapped the well dry. 
And I'm telling you, not just me, there's a whole fan base out there. If you get rid of Cavill, you get rid of Momoa, you get rid of Godot, you get rid of, of Keaton, you get rid of these people, we don't care. Well, and there's another thing. We're not there's invested. A... We're invested in them because they did a good job with your crap scripts. Yeah. And there's another thing. Like, who else? So let's... Two things, actually. One, there's a whole lot of people. We know this is not the case, but there are a whole lot of people out there that think Cavill left um, The Witcher to play Superman again. And that's going to turn pe those people off. And then um, the other thing is... Who, are, who can they possibly get to play these characters that are going to be better than Henry Cavill? They're going to be better than Gal Gadot. They're going to be better than Jason Momoa. There's, I can't think of a single one. No, I can't either. It was a, it's a poor choice from someone that I have a lot of respect for. And now the fans online are losing their mind because, oh, they need to bring back Snyder. Snyder doesn't want to do it. I don't Snyder want Snyder care. to do it. He messed it up in the first place. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm sorry, guys. If you think that the Snyderverse is the be all and end all of a superhero movie, you haven't been paying attention. Well, and there's the other thing, right? Like Marvel continues to do big numbers while DC has traditionally floundered. And I, Phase Five is going to be the the big test on this. Although I think it's pretty much cemented at this point. We are conditioned to go and see these films. Yeah, and that's all there is to it. We're conditioned to go see Marvel films. And that sucks, but it is what it is. Well, once in a while we get a, a true gem. Yeah. You know, uh, but uh, to me, the ship has sailed. I want something new. I was looking forward to seeing my DC heroes being properly represented. That's not going to happen, apparently. I really, like I said, I'm invested in the actors. If you don't have those actors, I'm out. I would like to say hello to old student who just came into the chat room. Hello, old student. All right, and yeah, that, that's it. Unless they do something really, really special, which I can't see them doing, I I don't care anymore. Look, we saw Black Adam. It was fine. It, it, it was actually really good, especially yeah. the It the was fight nothing groundbreaking, but it was fun. It was enjoyable. Yeah, and I don't know why it flopped. I Timing of when they put it out, maybe? Quite possibly. Listen. The fact of the matter is you can look at that movie and tell it was super expensive. And that's why it may have flopped. It may have made, I, I don't, I didn't look at the box office. You will it may have made $200 million. You will never see more glorious action scenes than you will see in Black Adam. Yeah, I, I agree with that. All right, mister, how's it going? Um, I agree with that. But on a, let's say it made $200 million on a $300 million budget. Then that's a failure. Yeah. And that sucks. Now, is that domestic or worldwide? My understanding, worldwide. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. That's rough. That is rough. Okay. <sighs> um, I'm, you know, it's hard to feel sorry for people that are making millions of dollars but and have all the fame in the world. But he seems like a genuinely nice guy. And I know that there was a lot of passion put behind this character. I feel sorry for Dwayne Johnson. So do I. So do I. Because, again, it wasn't that bad of a movie. It was a fun time. We had fun watching it. Yeah. Um, the, it the, just the, the special effects alone are astounding. But, and, and maybe that's the problem, though, is that the money they're funneling into these special effects is just too much. I don't know. 
I don't know. I, maybe, I, they, maybe they need to, maybe Black, like, if you look at a movie like Black Widow, maybe, I, I know you weren't too happy with it, but maybe that's the right step to take is make some of these movies a little more um, smaller, a little more, a little more personal, so they're not they're not spending millions and millions. You can do a movie like that, but the pinnacle to that is Logan. Yeah, you know that's how you have to do it. Unfortunately, with Black Widow, it's just like it. Really, the Black Widow movie came out too late. I was kind of not invested anymore. Yeah. Well, when you know the problem with the Black Widow movie is that it was a prequel. We know that, and th this is kind of why they filled it with characters, is because we know that we know that Natasha wasn't in any real danger in that movie because we know she survived until right. Endgame. And that's kind of the problem. There's there's no real investment there. Yeah, I'm really starting to dislike prequels. I'm really, I mean, I already dislike prequels actually. Well, it, it gets Star back Trek to what Enterprise. it gets back to what we were talking about on the last podcast about canon being at the whim of the writer. Yeah, exactly. you know, like you, you do these prequels. We're gonna we're gonna tell you a story that nobody was asking for, nobody cared about, just so that we could make a little bit of coin. Yeah, and at the end of the day, Hollywood is a business, and they're gonna pr um, produce what they think makes the most money. Yeah, and there it is. Nostalgia is big business, and prequels sell money for or sell. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that one of the problems was that the plot for Black Widow was just kind of pedestrian. Um, it was it was a, an espionage kind of thriller kind of thing. But I, some people like that, but I I want to leave that kind of stuff to James Bond and Jack Reacher and all that kind of stuff, right? I don't really want the espionage in my Marvel movies because it's already fantastical enough. Yeah, I can get that. I can understand that. Um, just to, just to kind of wrap up the whole DC thing, it's a mess. And the problem is it's become a public facing mess. And when something like that becomes a public facing mess, that's an even bigger problem. Yeah. Cause Look at Solo. Warner, Warner brothers with their, uh, DC superheroes has always done spectacular when it comes to the animation. Yeah. When we got back from Gremlins, I didn't even know this existed. I'm surprised you didn't tell me this existed. I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I watched another movie before going to bed because it was Batman versus the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I didn't think you'd be interested in it. I, um, but I would have liked to have known it existed. And the thing of it is, I watched it. Was it silly and goofy? Of course it was, because it's the Ninja Turtles. I mean, let's take the Batman and put it with Kevin Vinga, dude. I mean, good heavens, that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, but just even some of the stuff that they did with all the Batman villains, it was like, that's, you know, some of this is actually legitimately scary. And I was engrossed in it, and it's mm -hmm. a cartoon. Yeah. It was actually really good. I enjoyed it. Um there were a series of figures that they brought up for that I wish I could have got, but it was hard to find in our area. Let's just put it that way. And speaking of which, that brings us into our main topic for today. Yes, it does. Toys from the past, Christmas toys, Christmas toys that you would throw your grandmother through a store window to get all the corporate greed and, and feel good. <laughs> Feel good feelings of the season yeah. that you have to. <laughs> what was it I said the other day about nothing like uh, 
nothing like punching your fellow man in the face to show peace on earth and goodwill toward man. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's the idea. We're going to talk about the big toys over the past few decades that really caused a stir. Um, that's from, a polite way of putting it. Oh, no kidding. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to start back way back in the, in the, in the monologue year of 1977. You feel old, John? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so 199, uh, sorry, 1977, um, the, the big toy for 1977, of course, was Star Wars. Anything Star Wars. Now, I, I know my Star Wars history. Um, what I know about this is the demand for the toys were so high, were so high, that they could not even meet the demand. They had to put out these cards that were basically a uh, 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 an IOU. Like, parents buy the cards and then we'll send you the, the toys yeah. when they're ready. Yeah. Um, kind of like we, a rain check. Yeah, a rain check. Uh, but actually produced by Canner. Yeah. A guarantee that we will get you the toy. Yeah. You can put this under the tree, in your stocking, whatever, and we will get you the toy. Okay. I wonder how kids felt about that when they woke up on Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas morning to a placard that says, oh, you'll get a toy. Thanks, Santa. I, <laughs> I honestly don't know because here we didn't have that problem. That makes sense. That makes sense. Like there was Star Wars under every kid's tree because we just don't have the population, especially back then, uh, that the States has. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really it. It was the big um, the big metropolitan areas that really experienced this problem of. Yeah. Honestly, I know. don't remember that. No. I really don't. Um, because, well, one, I, I just didn't happen around here. Um, you know, I wanted Star Wars. Boom. There it was. Well, and it was also a revolutionary figure as well, because it was the first real three, three-quarter inch figure yeah. that was mass produced um, for stores. And that, of course, led to G.I. Joe, and then G.I. Joe led to things like Transformers. And, like, it really, a lot of it, a lot of today's toys really starts with Star Wars. Yeah. Which is really neat, because Star Wars also um, helped uh, proliferate, you might say, uh, action vehicles and action sets and whatnot as well. Well, it was more than that too. I mean, like uh, it took, it took them a, a few years. I mean, it does, it does with movies now too, but it just doesn't seem like that long, but it took them quite a few years to put out Star Wars. And as I had mentioned on our Star Wars special, Star Wars back then, you could, you could hold over a movie. Yeah. We had the, the single plexus, not cineplexes, single plexus. So you could hold over a movie. So Star Wars played, in theaters for a solid year. So, I mean, like, I think people are amazed to hear that. They think I'm making that up. No, it literally was in theaters for a whole year. Yeah. So you have all that, that buildup. So the toys were already out while the thing is still being able to be seen in theaters. And, uh, yeah, it's just... It made my parents' uh, gift giving and gift shopping very easy for them, for me. Because it's just like, what Star Wars figure do you want? This one, yay! <laughs> now, I remember, we'll move on to the next toy in just a moment. I remember talking, though, to uh, um, an older woman that I worked with. 
And she remembered getting her son um, a spaceship, and he wanted the X-wing fighter, and they got her, they got him the the, the, the spaceship from Battlestar Galactica. And he was so sad. They got over it. So in 1978, we had Simon. Now I remember Simon as a kid. Just the Simon came out in 78. Yeah, yeah. I was I was surprised as well. I thought that was like late 80s, but yeah, because yeah, those electronic toys. I mean, there was Simon. There was Merlin. There was um, there's another one. I can't quite remember, but yeah. And that's that's the other thing is Stop as, Thief. The game actually was an electronic really? toy. Yeah. So and that's the thing as we as we go through this list, you're going to see as we get closer to today the takeover of digital toys. Yeah. It's really, really neat. Um, 1979. Now, it came out in 1977, but it didn't gain popularity until Christmas 1979, the Atari VCS. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember my uncle had that when I was a kid, and it was just a very – at the time, it was, you know, the 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 – the name in technology, but now it's very. I'm going to tell you a story about Atari that will people are just going to lose their minds over. So we finally get an Atari. My parents didn't have a lot of money. They were just working class folks. Mm-hmm. My my mom was a stay at home mom. My dad worked for the Public Utilities Commission in the Water Department. So anything that was expensive, like an Atari, was a real kind of big gift for them to give us so we get an atari i played that atari game like i i loved them my brother decided at some point in his insanity to see how it worked and opened it up and basically ruined the atari game because we and I just came home and there it was completely ruined because, of course, he didn't know how to get it back together. And I'm just like, Why would you do this? And we're teenagers at this point, you know. I'd be so angry. Oh, it, it the confusion outweighed the anger because I couldn't believe he was he had done this. I would, my dad was angry, but I was flabbergasted. Completely flabbergasted. So, yes, gamers, I just, from hell's heart, I stabbed at thee. Oh, my God. If I came home and somebody dismantled my PlayStation, I would have stabbed somebody. Yeah, I was was heartbroken. Wow. Okay, um, I don't, okay, so 1980, we have the Rubik's Cube, which still prevails today in different forms and whatnot. It's the original Rubik's Cube, the... The four, the uh, the four square Rubik's, like all, all sorts of things. Yeah, everyone had to have a Rubik's Cube. That was a very 80s thing. Yep. Um, and everybody got frustrated by a Rubik's Cube, except for the savants that can actually, you know, solve one. <laughs> Rubik's Cubes are easy. All you have to do is take the stickers off. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Not as easy as they sound. Okay, and when I got older, I didn't realize this was a thing. And then there was also the, the missing link. Missing link? Yeah, it was a Rubik's Cube kind of game knockoff. Oh, really? Yeah, it was it was rectangular and it was a chain. And it worked kind of the same way, but you'd have to miss it up and then you'd have to try and get the chains back together, the four sides of the chains. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and of course, I didn't know this until I was a little older, but there was a, a Rubik's Cube cartoon because every toy in the 80s 
Pac the Pac-Man cartoon. cartoon, yeah, like yeah. the video games, yeah. So I didn't have, I don't have one for 1981. I couldn't find anything to really quantify 1981. Is there anything you remember? No, okay. Um, so 1982 is kind of a, a split mix. Uh, G.I. Joe and BMX. Now, G.I. Joe is one of the most prolific toy uh, toys of all time. Let's get to the one. Let's skip ahead. Let's get to the one that I really want to talk about. Uh, 1983 Cabbage Patch Kids? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about... Um... That, this, this is the meat of it. This is where, where the, the, the topic for me goes. The Cabbage Patch Kid craze was insane. Everybody, thank, I said to mom when we were watching this history of toys and all this kind of stuff, I said, aren't you glad that we were teenagers and didn't want a damn Cabbage Patch Kid? And she's like, yes. If you weren't alive then, you have no idea the actual insanity of the Cabbage Patch Kid craze. Every kid had to have one. And people were straight up almost murking one another to try and get one. They were threat. There was news articles of a father threatening to throw his kid through the store window if they didn't open up and give him a Cabbage Patch Kid. It was insane. Capitalism. <laughs> no, no, you know I what? Know. I don't even blame capitalism. I blame society where you sit there and go, I ain't throwing my kid through no window to get a Cabbage Patch Kid. Damn. And, and that's something we'll see as well. Like that gets kind of mirrored throughout the years. Uh, not so much in recent years because things have become a little more accessible now. Yeah. Although we'll talk about uh, 2020s um, option in a, in a little bit. But we'll, we'll move ahead to 19. Well, but no, see, I'm, oh. not, I'm not done oh, with not this. Done. I'm not done with this. This is what I thought we were talking about, honestly. Okay. I don't want to go through every year and every toy and everything because nothing compares to this. This was insanity. Like, just straight up. I, and the thing of it is, as I look at these things, they were damn ugly. I don't know why but, anybody wanted them. Well, my favorite thing is they, they, they sprang, sprang forth from the loins of the Cabbage Patch Kids was the Garbage Pail Kids as well. Yeah. And they, like, yeah, they're ugly. And that that went very um, generously to to the Garbage Pail Kids because they're ugly as sin. Yeah, and what's really, and what's really weird about it, I mean, it takes the lore that, that babies are born, you know, they're not born. We found you under a cabbage, in a cabbage patch, under a cabbage patch leaf. The stork brought you, whatever, right? They had, you got to name the thing. But you know what? It didn't do anything. It's not like it was chatty. It's a doll. It's, it's a doll. I remember them. It's not like it was chatty Kathy. It's not like it, it it could interact with you as later on we'll see with Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah. You know, it's it just sat there and looked fat. With, it is? The, with the dimples and the weird head. And yes, you know, they, they, they came in all different races and that was wonderful, the diversity and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just like... As I was watching this unfold in the 80s with my parents, we couldn't believe the melees. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. And it, you know what? This isn't even a, a hey, I'm going to shame America. It was happening here too. Really? Yes. Because, again, it does get mirrored later on down the line, but that is mostly in the States as where it didn't really come here. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Like it, it was just, you know, you would see these people, people that were – you, you would think would be beyond it. Like I'm talking not even just kids, 
grownups wanting a Cabbage Patch Kid. Yeah. And like carrying them around in their backpacks and to school and to work and just like they were a real thing. And we were, I guess, the only sane people on the planet at the time going, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I, I remember my cousin had one. Yeah. Um, Everybody had one except the Allen household. I didn't have one. I didn't care. Maybe because I was, I don't know, I was too too young. Was this was it as big in Europe as it was here? 83, dude. I was born in 84. I yeah. don't really. I remember. I remember. Yeah, but you, car- have an, you have I an older brother. Like, kids yeah. more than the yeah. Cabbage Patch kids. I remember them. Like I said, my cousin had them. I remember seeing them in stores. I don't remember them being all that popular. Right. But again, I was a kid. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I I just didn't know if your brother had mentioned anything like that because your brother's my age. Yeah. Um, There's a, there is a, uh, there is a huge doubt in my mind that my brother would have a cabbage patch. No, he'd have a goth one (laughs) with a kilt. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Um, uh, (laughs) Raven McPlatt or something like that. Found in a haggis patch. <laughs> uh, Ren, our admin on the chat, uh, just said that they're scary. And it's like, yeah, they are. They're 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 scary looking. They're, well, they're not scary looking, they're, but they they're, they're just like it's. I don't know the design of it. Why people went crazy because it's it's one of those things where you look at the face and it reminds me of the kid that's got the snot bubble and you just want to smack him. Well, there, there's definitely a gar- uh, garbage pail kid with the snot bubble, bubble. So, but but here's the thing: where are where are where's this garbage now? Where are they now? Well, garbage patch kids. No, are... not garbage patch. Where's the where's the 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 cabbage patch kids now? They're like in a thrift store, or rotting in somebody's trunk somewhere, or in an antique store, or whatever. Or 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 they actually became actual garbage patch kids, garbage pail kids. Yeah. So with the with the cabbage patch kids, like they they've done new versions of them over the years. Nobody cares. Well, you got your your niche collectors, but other than that, they've never seen the popularity that they had back in the eighties. Yeah, never. Yeah, and you know, like, and I just felt it felt so obscene because also in the eighties came out. Feed the world. We are the world, right? And you still hear that song today, and. I'm sitting there thinking, there's people starving in Ethiopia, and you're going to throw your kid through a window to get a, a doll. Right? I I don't know what to say. Well, I mean... I don't know what to say about it. So I'm, I'm going to move ahead. Yeah, let's I'm move ahead because the rant is over. I'm not going to go through every... Uh, I'll, we'll, we'll just touch on everything, but we're not going to talk about everything. So 1984, one of the best years ever. Ghostbusters came out. Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street came out. I was born, and of course, <laughs> of course, the the debut of one of my favorite toy lines of all time, Transformers. Yeah. Now, did tra- you did you know or did you see like because I, I remember this that they actually had a watch that was a Transformer. Yeah, they've had they've had several of those over the years. Yeah, I don't know if there was like one back in the day that. They yeah, had it was I, it was black. It transformed um, into a robot. Might have been different colors. The one I saw was black. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so there, there, there's there's a whole history about Transformers that we will probably get into on another episode at some point in the future. But I remember being a kid. Obviously, in 1984, I was an infant, so I 
clearly did not have any interest at the time. But as I got older, um, they had different variations throughout the years of different Transformers. And I remember getting Power Master Optimus Prime when I was about four. And that was the biggest deal to me ever. Yeah. At this point, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, at this point in my life, I'm like, no, close, thanks, awesome. Or an album. You know, I wanted a record album. Like, yeah, give me the latest uh, Queen album. Give me the latest Culture Club album. Give me the latest, you know, Cyndi Lauper, whatever, Billy Joel. I, I just, that's what I wanted. I wanted music. I wanted uh, Walkman. I wanted uh, clothes, you know, typical teenager stuff. So 85 and 86 was the year of the bear, the years of the bears even. Is that the, the the Care Bears? 85 was Care Bears and 86 was Teddy Ruxpin. Interesting history with Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Teddy Ruxpin was actually like he, it was some sort of a brainchild. You almost have Disney to thank for it, right? Because, oh, probably. Because the, the guy worked as an Imagineer. He looked at all that animatronic technology that is in Disneyland. And the whole process was, it was interesting because... Uh, Worlds of Wonder, he kind of had to lay off all of his staff. Mm-hmm. Teddy Ruxpin almost never came to be. Wow. His staff came back and believed in it so much that they worked for free. Really? Yes. They believed in it so much they worked for free until they could be paid later on. That kind of loyalty. They believed in him. They believed in in the product. Um, he finally got an investor who just loved it, and they created this whole line beyond Teddy Ruxpin. And Yes, the sale of it was simple. You have a teddy bear. Everybody loves teddy bears. Every kid wants a teddy bear. But could you imagine having a teddy bear that can actually interact with you and tell you a story? And so they created this whole world with the cassette tapes that would spring Teddy Ruxpin to life and tell you the story. Problem is, as you said, 1985. Teddy Ruxpin retails for around 70 bucks. Ooh. Ooh. In 1985. Ooh. Okay, hang on, hang on. I got I got I got to look at the uh the inflation calculator for that one. Yeah. That is uh $70 I, in 1985? Yeah. Like that's that's it, it was expensive. But it, it didn't have the same I'm going to kill my fellow man to get one craze, probably because of the price tag. But if you could afford to get your kid a Teddy Ruxpin, every kid wanted a Teddy Ruxpin. And why wouldn't they? I mean, what? A hundred and seventy dollars today. Yeah. Is what that would that would be with inflation. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It was probably the most expensive toy, which is also probably the downfall of Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah. Like, I, I only, again, I only, my cousin had Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah. That's the only person I ever knew that had Teddy Ruxpin. And now, oh, oh, Vanessa had one. Yeah. Vanessa, did you love it? I loved it. And I had his little sidekick, Grubby, too. Which one was he Grubby? He had a sidekick? Oh, there was a whole bunch of them. Guy. I didn't yeah. know that. And then there's, like, an old scientist dude. Yeah. There's and tons of them. furry things. Yeah, it's not just Teddy. It's not just Teddy Ruxpin. He belonged to a, a world, a kingdom of something, or I don't remember. Yeah, the, that's the, that's how the story went. That went with it yeah. yeah, I don't know what to say about that. I, I, as a toy guy, I feel kind of ashamed of myself here, because um, yeah, I, I should know that one. Well, you're a toy guy, but you focus in on the toys that you absolutely love. 
That's true. But I, I do like learning about toy history. But we'll, again, for another need, episode. You need to watch on the History Channel. See, this is, people will say, oh, cable, I hate cable. But you get some wonderful programming. They have um, programs that are called The Food That Made America, Toys That Made America, all kind. You would love that program. Sounds like it. Um, so 1987, I was a little surprised by this because I thought this was a 90s thing. Koosh Balls. I thought Koosh Balls came out in the 90s, but apparently well, came out in 87. Well, I mean, 87 is, is fairly close to the 90s. Yeah, but everything comes out first, and then it becomes more popular. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the Super Soaker was yeah. also on this episode talking about Teddy Ruxpin. And, you know, just making the Super Soaker. And I remember the Super Soaker being popular in the 90s, even though it was made in the 80s around the same time as Teddy Ruxpin. And that makes sense, because if you look at Koosh Balls, I would imagine they would be fairly cheap to reproduce yeah so there's that now 88 and 89 was the years of nintendo 88 was the nes 89 was the that's, game that's when mario yep. brothers first start taking off yep. i want to talk briefly about that though remember because in gremlins you see it gremlins is a time capsule yes it's a wonderful time capsule because when they're in the store and you see them under the the tree and everything and they're playing they had the little tabletop version of donkey kong mm-hmm. i had that they had the like little tabletop versions of Pac-Man. They were sort of, uh, if you've seen them, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to describe, but it was like a little video arcade that you sat on your table and played without having to put a quarter in. And it was probably about as tall as as your open laptop there. wasn't, wasn't tremendously really, big. didn't yeah. take up a lot of space. That was a fantastic toy. Also in Gremlins, you see this game when they're in the store it's called survive i have that game it's wonderful game there was disaster there was survive there was all these really cool board games but one of the coolest that came out in the 80s and i wanted it so bad the dark tower the dark tower was basically a dungeons and dragons game that was electronic that had this huge dark tower in the middle and this great commercial starring Orson Welles. I okay, I don't remember the, the commercial. I remember the game very very vaguely. And just a second, I just want to give a cuz they've joined us on chat. I just want to give a, a shout out to the best girlfriend in the world, Jillian. Hi. Um, so <laughs> Hi with, Jill. With um and hello Fatima. Fatima, how you doing? Um I, I vaguely remember it, but I don't think I ever... I, I think I saw it in the store. Yeah. Um, and there, there's another thing. Like, we could go on about the different kind of niche and kitschy board games that have come out well, over elect- the years. In the 80s, electronic games and electronics were really huge. Yeah. Because it was new. It was exciting. It was different. Everything now is very commonplace. A video game console system, meh. Can you imagine playing Pong? Like, my cousins had Pong. Yeah. It was a treat going over to my cousin's place just to play Pong. I mean... I remember Pong. And yeah. now now I have a video game where I shoot aliens in the head, so... Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's like that progression. In the 80s, anything that came out was new and different and wonderful. I mentioned Stop Thief. It's a great game. You have these funny little criminal cards, and you are a detective, and you're moving around the board trying to catch the criminal, trying to get clues that this electronic... Uh, device tells you clues and tells you where they are. I loved that game. I also love the Dark Tower. The the problem is with games like that, 
you need to play them with other people. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you need to play any game with other people, but I mean, you really need to play it with other people, not just like two, two, like they always see it like two to six players, something like that. No, two players, eh, you really need a group to, to play those games with. Now, moving on to 1990, I'm not going to spend too much time in this or else it's going to just take over the show. Ninja Turtles. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that on a later episode. Eastman so. and Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the little comic book that could. Yeah. Oh, man. There is a whole history of that. Just the, the, the story of them pitching the toys to different toy companies is fascinating. But again, another episode. 1991. The the debut of Pogs, the most '90s crap that ever crapped. Yeah, don't, don't rush through it. We got lots of time here. Let's let's go back before we talk about Pogs. Let's talk about the Ninja you Turtles. Want to talk a about Ninja bit. Turtles. Okay. Like, there's no point bringing it up if we're not going to talk about it a little bit. So, I mean, this is a little comic book, uh, and I I don't know which came first. I know the comic book came first, yes. absolutely. But this is a chicken and egg scenario for me. Did the cartoons come first, first or toys? Okay. So here's the history with that. The toys and the cartoon. The toys technically came first, and the cartoon was designed to sell the toys. So they came out the As same cartoons year. are. They came out the same year in 1987. Now, as I said, most popular was 1990 uh, with Ninja Turtles, right? And the reason for that, that's when Turtle Mania was really taking over. You had the live concert show. You had the live action movie. You had all these different versions of the Ninja Turtles in toy form. At that point, I think we could get like Shogun Ninja Turtles and a Ninja Turtle of Raphael that plays baseball and astronaut Raphael. I had a lot of Raphaels. Um, like they had all these different themed ones. Uh, they even at one point had Star Trek themed Ninja Turtles toys. So like Leonardo was Spock, and although Donatello really should have been Spock. But anyway, wow. I digress. So they're Ninja Turtles. And Ninja Turtles led supremely for several years. They didn't get knocked out of the number one place until a couple years later with Power Rangers. But the level, the amount of Ninja Turtles stuff that you could get, they even had Transformers Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Like you had these Ninja Turtles that would turn from the character you see in the show into a little baby turtle. You know, I'm kind of fascinated by what stuck and what stayed. Ninja Turtles are as popular now as they were when they debuted. I feel. But what's also weird to me is that something like Ghostbusters has continued on. To- I think I think millennials, specifically millennials, like to I mean not specifically millennials, but I'll say millennials because I think they're the the, the core demographic right now. Um, but they like to hang on to what they grew up on. They like to well, so does Gen X, honestly. Yeah. Um and that's kind of the thing. I mean, if you look at all the stuff that's coming out now, again, as I've said before, nostalgia is big business. Yeah. Nostalgia is huge business. I love to watch and rewatch Ghostbusters. Yeah. I love Ghostbusters. Yeah. Are you talking about the live action? I'm talking like the cartoons and the toys and all that kind of stuff. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes to all of it, yes, says Nick. Yes to all of it. I mean, I have the entire real Ghostbusters cartoon series um, at home. I have all the movies at home. I have I have uh, the the Diamond Select Ghostbuster figures. I mean, I have I have a proton pack from Spirit Halloween. You ha- you have a coat. I have a coat. Yeah, 
Um, I have a brother that is that literally goes to different cons dressed up as as uh, as a uh, Ghostbuster. Right. I mean, I, I that's I'm as entrenched in Ghostbusters as you can get at this point. Uh, hello, Angie. I uh, hope you're enjoying the show. Um, and it's the same thing with Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles has always been. It's not just been important to me. It has been integral to me who I, as who I am. It's one, it's, right. it's one of the things that has developed my own personal culture. Pizza is one of my favorite foods. Pizza, honestly, would not have been one of my favorite foods unless I watched Ninja Turtles. Right. Red is my favorite really? color. Really? Really, honestly, yeah. The only reason I started, started really devouring pizza when I was a kid is because the Ninja Turtles ate pizza. Red is my favorite color. You know pizza existed before Ninja Turtles, right? I barely existed before Ninja Turtles. So, and, But red's my favorite color because my favorite turtle was Raphael. Um, you know, I, I'm going to speak as an old geezer here uh, from a generation that's starting to age. Um, you, you dudes got to realize stuff existed before you were born. I can't quantify that. So... <laughs> But yeah, Ninja Turtles has always been important to me, and I love the characters. One of my favorite renditions, and I love this type of character. So in the 2003 cartoon, the Michelangelo in that cartoon is kind of a savant. The reason he's so goofy and the reason he doesn't, he acts like a, a jokester all the time is because he's so naturally talented at ninjutsu that he literally doesn't have to try as much as his brothers do. And Splinter calls him out on that a lot. Unless they go up against the Batman. <laughs> Unless they go up against the Batman. So yeah, the Ninja Turtles. I love the Ninja Turtles. 1990 was a big year for them with the movie. I, I still love that movie. Action. Ninja Turtles movie to me is the perfect marriage of darkness and campiness that is Ninja Turtles. Wasn't that, was that Jim Henson Studios? Am I wrong on that? So, or yeah, did they do the... Or did they just do the design of the suits? No. So Jim Henson um, did the effects for part one and two. Now, part three didn't have as big a budget, so they couldn't afford Jim Henson. So they, uh, so that movie happened. Um, <laughs> it's the best I have. Um, yeah, but, you know, it, it's interesting, though, where you see this shift, where the product came first, right? Yeah. And no, but, uh, so, what problem. I mean by product is like Star Wars came first, then the toys. Yeah. You know, now it seems like the toys are there and they're making something to go along to sell the toys. But that's been the same since uh, since the 80s when yeah. Reagan deregulated everything. Um, yeah, but I, it didn't seem as as in your face or as bad. G.I. Joe. Transformers. What, what was that first one? G.I. Joe. Oh, G.I. Joe. I thought you said Jojo. No, G.I. Joe. Um, Transformers. Now I'm gonna, but GI Joe existed before. Yes, and again, there is a whole history about GI Joe. Um, but for that 1980s line with all those new characters, when because when GI Joe existed, it was just GI Joe and the different iterations of a character called GI Joe. Right. When they introduced it, when they re like they completely... when Hasbro got involved. You would... no, this is this is still no. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, Hasbro. So. Yeah, started out, um, I think it was always Hasbro. I have to double check that. I'm pretty sure it was always Hasbro. But regardless, um, when it started with that new iteration of characters, um, with Duke, with Roadblock, with Scarlet, with the Baroness and all that stuff, 
that cartoon was made to supplement that toy line. Yeah. The Transformers cartoon was made to supplement that toy line. He-Man was made to supplement that toy line. All those, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon was actually made to supplement an action figure line. R- Rubik's, the Rubik's Cube cartoon was made, yeah. was made to supplement the Rubik's well, Cube. Well, they were made to supplement, <clears throat> yes, but they were also made because the popularity was insane. Like, Particularly yeah. Pac-Man and Qbert, right? Yeah. Pac-Man and Qbert as arcade games, because that's what we had to do. We had to go to an arcade to play the video games before Atari came out and all that kind of stuff. And even as such, when Atari came out, it was not much better than Pong as far as graphics go. It was very blocky. I would say maybe a little bit better because it was like Minecraft in a way, you know, the very blocky kind of little representational stickman kind of thing. Um, But Pac-Man was was huge. Pac-Man was so big. I loved Pac-Man, honestly, that I had a Pac-Man birthday cake. Really? Yeah. My mother made it. It was cool. It was the easiest thing to make in the world for because because all she had to do was she made made a round cake, Mm -hmm. right? Cut out the slice so that's the mouth, right? Put yellow icing on it. From the slice of cake that she took out to create the mouth, she does the circles that Pac-Man, the dots that Pac-Man mm-hmm. is eating. It was fabulous. Everyone lost their minds because I had a Pac-Man birthday. That's so cool. Um, so moving on from 1999. To, now, as these as the years go on, we're going to have a little less to say about some of the stuff that comes out. Um, just because we were too old for them. But regardless. So 1999 was Pogs. Yeah, all I, I remember can, Pogs. Being... All I can say is I had Pogs. I had all the pogs. Every kid that I knew had pogs. Yep. Hi, Shep. How you doing? Um, and I, I had a big, like, pencil case full of pogs. Where are they now? Uh, God knows. They're in the garbage. That's all I got. <laughs> with the Cabbage Patch Kids. With the with the Cabbage Patch Kids, they're the Cabbage Patch Kids are in the in the trash playing pogs. Uh, 1992, we have Talking Barney, which I can't really say much about. That was a craze. That was a craze. That or, was no. Okay, now was it a craze? Well, or... let, let me let me let me preface, let me preface this. This is the number one toy for Christmas. Yeah, year. I was gonna say. Yeah, is it a craze or is it just the number one toy? Because um, sometimes yeah. the number one toy, like me, listen. Let, let's sit there and we'll use the bookstore as an example, right? Let's say that they've sold ten Stephen King novels versus every other book that they've got in here right yeah and so stephen king is the number one selling book here and but it's only 10 but it's, it's interesting to see how they how it kind of fluctuates throughout the year um now another thing so 1993 though and 1993 kind of blew my mind because this this toy didn't exist it was made for a movie the talk boy so the talk boy was created for home alone 2 and it became so popular and everybody wanted it that they actually. Oh, that, that's where he's yeah, that, using that, that, it. Uh, yes, I'm, yeah, he slows it down. On yeah. okay. now, the original Talk Boy didn't even have those features either. Uh, it wasn't until they made a second version where they had that have all those features. But yeah, it, I don't remember that even being out. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Jill just says that she has her, she still has her Talk Boy. Awesome. Yeah. Um, 1994. Now this is, this is where we kind of start losing, um, the Ninja Turtles. Well, we definitely lose the Ninja Turtles craze at this point. Power Rangers. 
And I remember this. I remember this because in 1994, I didn't get any Power Rangers because mom and dad did not want to deal with that crap because people were losing their minds over Power Rangers. There were lineups for them. People were fighting over them. So we're getting back into the yeah. Cabbage Patch kind of yeah. idea. And you see that kind of craze. Um, you see that kind of craze several times throughout the years. Yeah. Um, One of the ones that we were talking about was Tickle Me Elmo. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, like I didn't start getting the Power Rangers toys until a year later when they were more readily available in stores and people weren't clotheslining each other for them. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Um, 1990... How many years are we going here? Oh, we got we got all the years. Okay, let's I'll, not... What I'll, what I'll do is I'll skip over some of them. So I'm going to... Yeah. Okay. So 95 was Beanie Babies. 96. Oh, let's talk about the Beanie Babies. Oh, we have to. Yes, because that is the closest thing to like the Cabbage Patch thing that I, I can remember. Not that people were trying to murk one another for it, but that is, that's one of those ones where it became this huge thing where there was all kinds of Beanie Babies. I even have a couple Beanie Babies because one was a little bat. How could I not get a little bat? Fair enough. I, had a, I had a Red Bull. That yeah. Was, that's what I had. But I mean... They were expensive. They were going online for thousands of dollars, some of them. And now where are they all? Like, nobody cares. Ren just said that they had so many Beanie Babies. Look yeah. at this thing. I remember being a kid. And everybody was like, oh, you have to keep the tag on it because it'll be worth something one day. I now understand collecting as a hobby. Those things were mass-produced crap. They were never going to they be They sold tag protectors. People were buying yeah. them as a retirement investment. Yeah, and now they're worth nothing. <laughs> Shep just said it was a racket. And you know what? Shep's totally right. The they're dudes. all all of, Shep, all of it is a racket. Every single thing is a racket. I want to mention something before we move on. I'm going to go into the Wayback Machine with Sherman and Peabody here for a minute. Uh because we started at a certain time. Mm -hmm. You started at a time that interested you. But I can tell you, like, let's go back to the baby boomers for a minute. Uh, Chatty Cathy was a huge, huge uh, toy mm -hmm. for girls, particularly. And also the game Mystery Date. I know Mystery Date. Yeah. I've, Mystery, heard, I've seen Mystery Date. Mystery Date is a very famous board game. Marketed particularly towards the, the female uh, gender about, you know, oh, who's who am I going to get? Am I going to get the nerd? Am I going to get the jock? It was even spoofed in The Simpsons where they're playing Mystery Date and uh, someone gets the nerd and, <laughs> and Homer says, says to Mel, it looks like you, Poindexter. <laughs> now, as I said, like the ones in the 90s I have to touch on because they're all um cultural pop culturally relevant as we get to the 2000s again we can just mention them skip them whatever um but in 96 that's when tickle me elmo came out and that was insane yes I, that was insane i remember that people yeah. were again not necessarily here in canada but i remember watching the news i remember watching american news and um uh and yeah, it, it was it was absolutely ridiculous what people were doing to try and get these Tickle Me Elmo to the point that they actually based a movie off of it with Arnold Schwarzenegger called Jingle All the Way. Yeah, 
I and, mean, the, the, that's the perfect, uh, it's exact. Well, you know what? I don't know how much of an exaggeration it really is when they're actually in the store and Sinbad and Arnold Schwarzenegger are fighting each other for, for the, uh, the, whatever the, the toy is. Yeah. Now, 97 was Tamagotchi. 98, of course, was Furby. Oh, my God. The Furby. Man, everybody I knew wanted a Furby back in 98. And I'm actually surprised it was 98 because I thought they came out sooner, but they came out in 98. Now, the Tamagotchi, that was the little pet, electronic pet thing, right, that you had to try and keep up. If anybody has one that is still alive, I applaud you. (laughs) Well, they're making a comeback, you see. Oh, why? Um, 99 was Pokemon. Not going to get into Pokemon because, again, that's a whole sermon. Yeah. Um, 2000 was Razor Scooters. 2001 was Bratz. Ra- what are Razor Scooters? Scooters. Just scooters. But the great brand is Razor. Okay. So it's the so brand. Yeah. Um, 2002 was Beyblades, which hilariously, I was watching um, Survivor Series, WWE Survivor Series, and Austin Theory comes out, and I thought he had this Beyblade-themed entrance video. No, they, his his entrance video was literally an advertisement for Beyblades. I'm like, <laughs> wow, wow, we are shilling today. Okay, um, 2003 and four was Robo Sapien, which what is that? A remote controlled robot, which is interesting because it, it kind of anyway. Um, 2005 was the Xbox 360. 2006 was the PlayStation 3. Both culturally relevant, but yeah. So now we're getting into the the. the... Yeah, the serious gamer console systems. The digital era. So yeah. 2007 is the iPad Touch. Now, this is... This, is that a toy? Yeah, a toy. They, they're classifying it. I mean, PlayStation 3 is not really a toy, but it's classified. Yeah, but I, I can see the argument for it because of, it's a game system, right? So yeah. you're playing games. So I, I can see the argument for that being in the toy category. But uh, this thing's... Whenever I hear iPad, I don't think of it as a toy. Um, 2008, and this will come up a few times, Elmo Live. Which was, yeah. Um, 2009 is the Nuke, which was an e reader from Barnes, which was the first e reader from Barnes and Noble. Uh, 2010 was, the, was another version of the iPad. 2011 was Let's Rock Elmo, <laughs> which is uh, Elmo that would play music. 2012, I'm surprised by 2012 because I didn't think it was that popular. But 2012 was the Wii U, which was kind of a. Is a. Um, <laughs> You threw me off there, Ren. Ren just said, consoles is serious gaming? Hashtag PC Master Race. <sighs> Thanks, Ren. Anyway, um, the Wii U was kind of a second-generation Wii with a, with a touchpad for a controller, which was kind of neat. Um, 2013, this is the final time he shows up, Big Hugs Elmo, which is a big robotic Elmo that would give you hugs. 2014 was Elsa. 2015 was BB-8. Now, 2016, though, this one I found interesting. The NES Mini. So it was literally a small NES that came preloaded with, like, 50 games. I could not find this thing anywhere. I wanted one, and I could not find it anywhere. Um, in 2017, and again, this is, this is all getting to stuff that I'm not really aware of, but we had something called the Anki Cosmo which was another remote control robot, but it was a smart remote control robot. So it, you could program it. And it's actually interesting. I was lo- As I was looking at these different um, toys and stuff that were becoming popular throughout the years, over the past decade, I find it fascinating how 
STEM items have become um, popular as well. I find that absolutely amazing. Um, 2018, I don't even know what that is. I can't even say it, so I'm not going to bother. 2019 was the LOL Surprise Glamper. 2020 it was the PS5 and Xbox Series X. So, or Series S, sorry. A uh, lot to be said about that because PS5 did the... Here's the neat thing about the PS5. The PS5 did a lot to keep, keep it scarce. They, keeps, they kept scarcity up. But the thing with that is that I don't remember, there was no real craze for it. People wanted one, sure, but there was no craze for it. And I think that might come down to the $700 price tag. So that might be that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these things that you're mentioning now, they're just they're the number one selling toy, but there's not a craze for them. No, no. And 2021 was the Grogu plush. Yeah, it makes and, sense. Yeah. And honestly, they, there was no real craze that because they're not scarce. You can still, you can yeah. find them on clearance now. So whatever. Um, and I, I looked into what the big ones were for this year as well. Um, the first one that came up was, uh, and uh, Jill actually, uh, my girlfriend Jill brought this to my attention, is something called Magic Mixies. So you get this cauldron thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen these. Yeah. You you put the, the stuff stuff in the cauldron, yeah. create smoke, and then a little, little uh, plush toy comes yeah. up and says hi or something anyway. Um, you've got the Bluey Playhouse. Bluey is a kid's show. They've made a playhouse based on that. Um, Squishmallows are uh, predicted to be huge this year again because Squishmallows are awesome. Uh, and this one, I want this just just to have it. <laughs> I can't hang on. It's a Jurassic World inflatable remote control T-Rex. It's like those inflatable costumes, but it's on remote control wheels. Okay. Um I've never been so grateful to not be a millennial in my life, but I, I think that the, I'm joking about that. But I mean, I think that one of the things that is happening here that I'm seeing as we've discussed this is that your generation particularly uh-huh. is buying toys for themselves. And so I, I, you mentioned like the Squishmallow, you mentioned Grogu, you mentioned uh, a few things in there that I know a hundred percent part of their, that, is adults buying it for themselves? Well, and you're not wrong about that. I mean, I have a lot of friends, um, a lot of a lot of women friends that have squishmallows. I have non-binary yeah. friends that have squishmallows. Not a lot of guys, but whatever. But I mean, look at me. I buy Transformers for myself. I buy Star Wars and Marvel characters yeah. for myself. Um, so yeah, you're right. We are we're <laughs> we're spending all of our our money on. Crap to make us happy as we wait for the world to end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, well, hopefully not too soon. Yeah. Um, But anyway, Nick, that is almost all the time we have for today. We do have to sort of end our live podcast on a couple sad notes. Yes, we do. Uh, First of all, let's talk about Bob McGrath from Sesame Street. 90, I think it was 91 years old. Oh, he hung in there. And he, he... and he passed away. It was very sad. I am as old as Sesame Street, so for yeah, for me nine, yeah. for for me to lose that piece of childhood 
is really gut punching. Well, he was on Sesame Street for a long, long time. Oh, I yeah. remember him when I was watching it as a kid, and I think he was still on it when Emma was when Zipper was a kid. Oh yeah, because there was this whole um, the whole thing where they were going to replace him with all these younger people, and everyone lost their minds and went, "No, you're not." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, now the 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 humans have probably been replaced uh, as will happen in the future. Uh, but I think the humans on, on Sesame street have probably been replaced by younger humans, by younger actors uh, at this point, because uh, Gordon would be, have to be around that age too, I would yeah, think. I think so. But the importance of something like Sesame street and Bob McGrath and all these people is that it showed diversity and it showed these different cultures. There was, um, the Latinx, there was the black and there was the white people all living cohesively in this apartment tenement at the end in this cul-de-sac that we know as Sesame Street, interacting with Muppets that had different personalities and getting along with them and accepting them. Yeah. You know, and our, our way into it as children was through Big Bird because Big Bird was supposed to basically be about three years old. Yeah. And the idea with Big Bird, of course, is that if something as large as Big Bird can experience all these different emotions, you know, from being scared to questioning the world around him to whatever, and have these adults explain everything to him, that's what made Sesame Street so endearing and work so well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like we had Sesame Street in Scotland as well. Yeah. Don't worry, it was not uh, dubbed over uh, dubbed over in a Scotch accent. Although I'm pretty sure there was a Gallic version of a uh, Gallic dub. <laughs> Mix Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah. There, there was definitely because I remember there was a Gallic version of Captain Planet, and there was definitely a Gallic. Was version. there really? Yes. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Um, uh, also sad. Recently, Kirstie Alley passed away. I didn't even know she was sick with cancer. I don't think anyone did. Um, that's sad. She was, she was an icon of the nineties. Definitely. Uh, well, um, no, and she, yeah. And the eighties, she yeah. started in the eighties because I mean, let's face it. She, no matter the fact that she played Rebecca on cheers. Yes. Fine. Whatever. Right. She will always be Lieutenant Savick. Yes. Even though she only did that in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Cause they replaced the, replaced her with another actress in search for Spock. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Lieutenant Savick, a hundred percent. Um, she wasn't available, I think, because her star, like that was her breakout starring role yeah. as Lieutenant Savick. And after that, she did uh, the Look Who's Talking trilogy yeah. with uh, John Travolta. She did a um, summer school with uh, Mark Harmon. Um, and then, of course, she gets the role uh, replacing Shelley Long on Cheers as Rebecca. Let me, I can't, because we're live, we can't do a clip. But let me tell you one of the best jokes from there. It was so funny. So Rebecca gets sent flowers, gets sent these roses. And she says, why can't more men send flowers? And Sam says, I didn't know Mormons couldn't send flowers. And she says, not Mormons, more men. I just thought it would be nice if they get flowers. And then Sam says, yeah, but why does it have to be from a Mormon? And she storms off and he says, you just can't talk religion with some people. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. like The dynamic works so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember watching Cheers as a kid. I would probably, 
find it much funnier now as an adult. Yeah. But, <laughs> There's know. a lot of things that you find a lot funnier as an adult uh, that you might have watched as a kid and didn't quite get it. Like I've seen reruns of, for example, the Mary Tyler Moore show. So much funnier to me now as a as an adult than it was when it was airing on Saturday nights as a kid. Um, but anyway, Nick, that is all the time we have for our live podcast. Please remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Hive, TikTok, and Clapper at the Area 51H. Of course, you can search for us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a half. And of course, don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the bell on whatever app you're using, and share us with all your friends and enemies. And just a reminder that we are here at Lockwood Books, 488 Talbot Street in St. Thomas. Uh, come by and say hi to Fletch and Vanessa and Duck the Cat and get these wonderful used books for the book lover on your Christmas list. Seriously, this place is gorgeous. Come check it out if you haven't. Well, that's the show, everyone. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> I don't know how to end a live show. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's kind of neat. We've only done one live show before. That was for the London Comic Con. And we, um, had, we had our theme music to go out. I don't know. Does, does, anyone, does anyone have any questions? No, we're anyone done. We're, we're done? We're, we're done. done. We're okay, done. We're, not, we're, not, we're not streaming any questions. So have a good one, guys, and we'll uh, see you next week. Bye. Or in two weeks from now. Bye. <laughs>